All right. Thank you, Pastor Scott. All right. Good morning. Palm Sunday. We got some palm trees here. You know that they would die if we put them outside because we're in Virginia. So there, you know, it's like Scott said, we got this bipolar weather. So glad to have you with us. Um, all right. So we have been working our way through John. And so often we kind of throw out a question, kind of get our brains moving, kind of, you know, shake off the cobwebs. So here's the question this morning. It is, why the crucifixion? Why the crucifixion? Like here you have these Christians running around, all these people who, who have this obsession and fixation with Jesus, but specifically the death of Jesus. We talk a ton about it. We talk about the cross, right? The cross is a symbol of our faith. Why the crucifixion? Why is this something we celebrate? We're about to dive into the narrative of this in John, and, and it's, a, it's a disturbing reality. And we're going to read about someone dying. That's what we're going to read about today. And the question for us, which is a great question, why the crucifixion? Why is this a thing? Why are we talking about it? Why is this something that we want to keep talking about and keep mentioning and over and over and over, the death of Jesus? Why? This is the right question. So if you have your Bibles, open with me to John chapter 19. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. So John chapter 19, we're going to start in the second half of verse 16. I'm going to pray for us here in a minute about just, you know, that the Lord will kind of wake us up. Um, and then, yeah, let me, let me pray. And then before we dive into John 19, I'm going to give a couple of background items, um, kind of bigger background items, and then that'll prep us for why the crucifixion. And then we'll actually get into the, the, the story of the crucifixion from John. So let me, uh, let me pray for us, and then we will dive into uh, to John 19. Heavenly Father, um, we, we need to be awakened and rattled. Um, Lord, we, we forget. We forget why the crucifixion, to be honest. We can give sometimes accurate answers, and yet we often are unmoved. Uh, in our folly. So, Lord, we pray that as we dive into your word this morning, Lord, that you would, yes, yeah, shake, shake us, move us, rattle us this morning, we pray, as we see the death of our King, our beloved. Pray that you'd wake us up, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, a couple of historical items, background information before we dive into the text. So, there's, there's a couple of things we want to see, okay? The first thing is, is we go back to the, the beginning of, of all time. We go back to creation, and you see God create humanity. You see God uh, pursue humanity, choose humanity, come after them. God is in constant pursuit of humanity. God creates God moves toward, God loves, and is moving toward humanity throughout all human history, and yet there's this conflict that's happening because of what happens in Genesis chapter 3, right? In Genesis chapter 3, we see there's this terrible thing that enters the world called sin, right? Called sin. So there's this tension, and we see in Genesis 3 that we see humanity, who now has a ruptured relationship with God because humanity has invited sin into the world. So there's two things that point us and get us moving when we're asking the question, why the crucifixion? The first thing is all human history, 
right? All human history. If you go back and look at the historical narrative of all time, literally all of human history, and, and it's important that we see it as human history, right? The problem with, with, uh, with the world is not that cows and birds and frogs have tension with God, right? We see there's enmity between man and God because of the second reality, which is human sin, So there's this thing called sin that lives in us that needs to be dealt with. There's this thing called sin that we do, that we perpetrate, that we are responsible for, right? Sin is not just some neutral thing like the devil made me do it kind of a thing, right? Sin is something that lives in human hearts, something that we are culpable for right? So we are setting the stage for why the crucifixion, we have this reality of sin that, that we see play out in human history. We see conflict. We see Russia and Ukraine doing this, right? We see the atrocities of war. We see the atrocities of uh, family conflict. We see the atrocities that we specifically perpetrate in our day-to-day, right? So we have this reality of human sin that is background for the, the story that we're going to look at this morning. So if you have your Bibles, open with me again, like I said, to John nineteen sixteen, And what we're going to do is we're going to do similar format to how we did it last week, where I gave a keyword, where it gives you something to kind of hunt for as we're working our way through the text. I'm going to give you a keyword, and I'm also going to give you the keyword in Spanish. I've tried to do a little more research to get some good Spanish words, and I, and I want to give a little spoiler about the whole kind of Spanish thing that we're doing. So we have a lot of Latinos in our New River Valley area. We have several that are members of our church. This is a beautiful reality. I have a little background in Spanish myself, so I feel, feel like I can pull Spanish off, so that's a part of this. I'm going to try and sprinkle that into some of my preaching, so that way we're going to have, listen, we want to be a church that is all about the Latino population because there's going to be more and more and more. Yeah, amen. Whoop, whoop, right? Because there's going to be more and more Latinos in the New River Valley, and we want to be a place and a home for them because we love them. We want, we want them to be able to experience the gospel. And so just know we're going to sprinkle that in because it's the biggest kind of subpopulation in the New River Valley is the Latino population. You'll see as far as minorities go, man, a lot, lot of Latinos. And we want, to, we want to be really warm and welcoming to them. So just know we're going to have Spanish songs. We'll have Spanish words sprinkled in from time to time. And I'm going to try and do a better job of doing that when I can. So I'm going to give you a keyword, and then that'll help you kind of as we're working our way through the text. The first keyword is bearing, bearing, okay? So the first keyword is bearing, and the Spanish for that is soportando, soportando is the Spanish of that. Okay, so let's read the text, and we're hunting for our keyword bearing. So this is, this is uh, John 19, and right before this, let's take note, right before this, we have the confession of the mouth of the chief priests who say, we have no other king but Caesar, basically confessing their allegiance to Rome and the way that they've sold out in order to get their way. They have submitted themselves to Caesar, so no, we have no other king but Caesar. This from the chief priests who should know that their king, their true king, is Yahweh. And so they just say this, and then in the second part of verse 16, we see this. So they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others one on either side, and Jesus between them. 
Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write king of the Jews, but rather, this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answers, what I have written, I have written. We'll stop right there for this first section. So bearing was our first word. Soportando is the first word. So as we look in here, as we look at this, Look at what it says. So they have Jesus. So they, we, we just see that he's, he's been, uh, the, the, the chief priests have denied, you know, basically their, their kingship of Yahweh. And now we see they're taking Jesus out. Now I want to make a note where I'm not, I don't like jumping around to the other narratives. I want to stick right to the John narrative and the unique contribution that John makes. There's a lot of other accounts, a lot of other details that are shared in the other, other gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But we want to stick to what John is emphasizing. And look what it says in verse 17. And he went out bearing his own cross. So this phrase has been haunting to me as I've read this all week. Think about who we're talking about. Think about what we're looking at. It says, he went out. So Jesus goes out bearing his own cross. Surely Jesus should not have to bear this cross because the irony of these words is, is Jesus here? Is Jesus here? Is Jesus going out and carrying this cross because of what Jesus has done? And the answer there, we just saw from the mouth of Pilate in the previous section, Pilate said, I I find no guilt in him. And yet here we have Jesus, right? The one that was described as, right, God made flesh, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And so what we see here is we see God in the flesh coming down, and it says, bearing his own cross. Was this Jesus's cross to bear? In some sense, right, he is called to this. He is the one enacting the gospel, but in some much other and greater sense, it is not his cross to bear. This is our cross to bear. Jesus is guiltless. Jesus is not the one who has warranted to be crucified. Jesus has done nothing wrong. Jesus has not done anything to warrant him being killed by the Roman authorities. So what we see here is, look, look, how, look how quickly it describes the crucifixion. It says, there they crucified him. It's this short little note about what they're doing to this person, Jesus. This short little note about how Rome took care of its prisoners. And we see that Jesus is bearing his own cross. So there's kind of a physical part of this, which we'll talk about. So what does it mean that he's bearing his own cross? Now, in one of the other gospel accounts, you'll note that there's a guy named Simon who, who helps Jesus, and yet we don't see Simon here. We just see Jesus who's bearing his own cross. How can it be both? Well, the way that it's both is the way that crucifixion worked is there was a vertical part of the cross. What they would stick in the hole, and they would, they would do that before the criminals were brought out there. So those pictures you have in church history where you see Jesus who's carrying both parts of the cross, that's not an accurate picture. 
there's a big cross member that they would have nailed his arms to. He was carrying that part of it. So Jesus has just been beaten. He's been scourged probably twice, right? He's been beaten with rods by Pilate, and probably another beating happened before he comes out the door here. And so what I think happens is he leaves the complex here bearing his own cross, and because of how much blood he's already beginning to shed, he is walking down the road, and so he starts out bearing the cross, and then Simon later somewhere helps him up the hill. So that's the physical part, right, where he's bearing the actual physical weight. But I ask the question again, is this Jesus's burden to bear? What has this man done to warrant crucifixion? And the answer here is this man has done nothing. This man has done nothing wrong to deserve this kind of a death, to deserve this kind of a penalty, and yet here we see him. He willfully takes on bearing his own cross. Church, we should be haunted by this phrase. Is this his cross to bear? Now, Jesus has a calling, and he's been sent by the Father to accomplish this. I get all of this, and yet this is not his cross to bear. This is not his sin that he has to deal with. This is on us. His blood is on our hands. And so what we see here is we see Jesus who is bearing the penalty of sin. We see Jesus who's taking upon himself the payment that we can't pay. Why did Jesus have to come and die as a man? Why did that happen? Because here's the reality, church. If you went out and you went to pay the penalty of sin, if you said, no, 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 Jesus, you should not do that. This is my fault. I need to pay. It needs to be me. The reality is your blood won't do you can't pay the bill. Your currency is not enough. And so so when we talk about who Jesus is, we go back to the beginning of John and we see that the word was there in the beginning and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh. Why does that matter? Is this a bunch of uh, nerdy Christian theologians, you know, just kind of squabbling over minutia details in the history of the church? No. It matters deeply who Jesus is. And the specificity of that, that why did God become man? Listen, people have wrestled with this and argued about this and have outright called it lunacy. No, God can't become man. That don't work. How can that work? Well, we've seen how it works. We've seen what God does. We've seen how he operates. We've seen the guiltless nature of how he has walked this earth as a man, fully God, fully man. Why does that matter? Because like I said, the history that leads us to this day is a human history filled with human sin, human transgression, human error, human assault, human darkness perpetrated against all of the world, not just human to human, but humans against all of creation. We have broken this world, right? We have assaulted it, and Jesus comes, fully God, fully man, And look what it says. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross. Now, it was my sin that held him there. So the first thing we see is we see bearing, right? We see him bearing sin's penalty. He's the only one 
who can lift the weight, right? We even here in Matthew, he says, come to me all who are weary, right? I will give you rest. And he says, my burden is light. You know, my yoke is easy. Uh, how, 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 how does that work? How could we ever do what God wants us to do by the cross of Christ as he bears the penalty, as he bears the load, as he carries what you and I cannot carry? He walks in faithfulness to fulfill all that you and I need him to fulfill because we cannot do it. And so we are a people who are obsessed with the crucifixion of Jesus. Because I know that when I transgress, even if I were to be perfect, it would not be enough. Because I need all my sin to be paid for. Even when I do good, I still have a debt I cannot pay. Jesus pays it all. So the first thing we see is we see his bearing the penalty and the weight of sin. We see him giving us the ability because of his lifting of the weight to actually walk in the ways of God because he takes it on himself. So let's start in the next section here. So the first word was bearing. The second word I want you to see is beholding. Beholding. In Spanish, that's mirando. Mirando. Beholding. We start in verse 23. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus... They took his garments and they divided them in four parts, one part for each soldier. Also his tunic, but the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but let us cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scriptures. They divided my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. A quote from Psalm 22. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciples whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. When he had said to the disciple, behold, and, uh, excuse me, then he said to his disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. We'll pause right there. So we have this, we have this, 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 this interesting thing happening here. So we have Jesus bearing his own cross, bearing our weight of sin. Jesus takes it on himself. Then we see the second section where we're looking for beholding. What do we see? Well, the first thing that we see is we have this weird picture. You have Jesus who's in the middle of being crucified. He's been scourged. He's bleeding. He's about to be murdered. He's about to be hung on a cross. They're going to crucify this guy. And we, we, we cut over to this little picture of some guys rolling some dice for Jesus's clothes. What's going on here? They're casting lots so that they can get Jesus' clothes. So there's a couple things happening here. The first thing that we want to understand is the humiliation of the cross is not just that they kill you, but they make you, um, they, they, they shame you in front of the city. Right? Can you imagine being paraded through the streets naked and bound? Even the pictures we have from church history, right? These paintings that people do, they always kind of clean it up. They put a loincloth on him. They make it more palpable. They make it more easy to look upon. And yet the reality is gruesome and uncomfortable. Now, I don't know about you. I've had physical injury, 
Granted, I've had people accidentally hurt me or whatever, but the, the emotional wounds, the shameful things that I've experienced, when I've had people look on me with disdain, those things are embedded in my memory. And so when we see Jesus and we see the, 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 the penalty that he's taking on himself, he is taking our shame upon him. This man has done nothing wrong. And he is being mocked, and he is being beaten, and he's being paraded through the streets as a criminal. And so what we see is we see the shame of Jesus, that he is taking our shame upon him. But the second thing we see here is this little comment about this happened so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. And the different accounts all share different little nuggets of different things that are fulfilled in the life and the crucifixion of Jesus. So Psalm 22, just, you know, was written a thousand years before Jesus came. It was written by David, the promised king that he said to you, David, you're going to have a forever king a forever kingdom that's going to come from your line, David. And so from the mouth of David, we have this psalm that he is quoted even in other parts of the New Testament. In Matthew, when he's being crucified, talks about this Eloi, Eloi, me Shabachthani, this whole thing that he cries out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is from Psalm 22. And so what we're seeing here is that, that this is no accident. Jesus is not just a, a kind of a prisoner of circumstance, that somehow he, he kind of bumbled his way into this setting of like, oh, how unfortunate. Jesus is just some unfortunate figure of history who just, he's in the wrong place at the wrong time. It's a shame. No, even the details of how they stripped him, why they took his clothes, comes down to God intended for Jesus to be here so that the price could be paid. So again, but our key word, our key word is beholding. Where do we find this word? We find this word in verse 26. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, that's John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to his disciple, behold your mother. What's happening here? We may miss it if we don't slow down and, and, and see what's happening in the text. What's happening? He, he says these two kind of odd little phrases. Well, what's happening is you have Jesus who's actually bound, who's on the cross. He's, he's up there. He can't, he can't use hand motions. He can't signal. And what's he doing? He's being crucified. He's being murdered. Right? He's being killed. And while he's being crucified, what does he do? He looks out and he sees. He beholds. He beholds the agony of who? Of his mom. Just, just for a second. Now, last time I preached the crucifixion, we preached out of Mark. And before I preached that, I'd never had a kid. I'd always read about it. And, and the idea of watching my son be crucified. And here's Jesus. He's bearing the sin of the world. He's He's being mocked and shamed, and he's, he's in utter agony, and yet what does he behold from the cross? He beholds the grief of Mary. He sees his mother, and he, he, he communicates to John with, with a little phrase and probably a look of the eyes, John, you need to care for this woman in her hour of need. And so we see Jesus, right, the Lord of life, 
the Messiah, God in the flesh, who's being crucified. And instead of saying like, hey, I've got some serious work I need to get done, he says, behold, John, take care of my mother whom I love. He's beholding the grief of humanity and he's beholding it specifically in the eyes of Mary. Mary saw him and loved him and delighted in Jesus. And Jesus is caring for her as he dies. He beholds Mary, but he also beholds the grief of humanity. This, this kind of condensed portrait of, of, of how humanity has caused in their rebellion and in their brokenness has caused Jesus to have to die. And Jesus is there willingly participating so that humanity can be redeemed and restored and rebuilt. And yet he acknowledges the grief that exists in the heart of Mary. You know, it's interesting, the critique about Christians and about Jesus, and yet we see his, his constant and repeated care for women, right? We see him seeing, beholding, serving, and loving, and considering. So we see that he's bearing his own cross, bearing the sin of the world, but we also see him beholding the grief of humanity, specifically in the eyes of Mary. All right, let's pick up the next section, verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. Many believe also a reference to Psalm 22. There's a few Psalms that that could be referencing, but specifically in Psalm 22, it says, my, my, uh, my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. And so he's fulfilling this continued portrait of Psalm 22, verse 29 a jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to its mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so the bodies... Oh, wait, I didn't give you your keyword, did I? No, we'll pause right there. I'll give it to you now. The key word for this section is breaking. Breaking. Compiendo, compiendo, breaking. Since it was the day of preparation and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. So the, so the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you may also believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken." And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. Pause right there. So breaking is the word there. So, so we see here, how is it that anyone can take the life of the Son of God? How is it that any person can kill Jesus? And the answer is no one can. No one can kill Jesus. 
Jesus is unable to be killed. He has to volunteer up his spirit because humanity does not have the power to take the life of Jesus. We see this in John 10. He says, I have the power to lay my life down and I have the power to take it back up. No one takes it from me except I give of it, right? We see this from John 10. We see this kind of throughout the the, the gospel of John. And so what we see here is we see Jesus at the end of his life and he voluntarily gives up his spirit. He pours out his soul unto death because he says, it is finished. So it's, it's rumored that on the uh, invoices of first century Rome, that whenever a bill was paid, they would t- stamp on there, tetelestai. It's paid. It is finished. And that's what this word is, tetelestai. The account paid in full. Jesus making it clear, I have done the work that God has sent me to do. It is done account paid in full. But the word was breaking. How do, we, how do we know? Look at verse 31. They include these kind of little details. Why include this? Because it's important for us to see this is no accident. This is not some sort of historical um, coincidence. So they're concerned, as we have seen throughout the story, they're concerned without messing up their Passover celebration. And so they have these dead bodies that, that would often, so what they would do is they would, they would make these crosses and underneath of the feet of the cross, they would put a little platform so you could, you could stand up if you were starting to suffocate because your, your lungs are starting to fill up with blood, you're having a hard time breathing, your muscles are starting to atrophy and cramp, and so you, you, your body starts to sink down and you have a hard time breathing. So what the Romans have done in order to make the pain last longer, and if you've been able to breathe and suffer for, for, for multiple days instead of dying early, is they put a little platform under the feet so that way when you can't breathe, you can stand yourself up. So that way you can suffer for, for multiple days, sometimes four, five, six, depending on, on if you have enough hydration, depending on your physical state going into crucifixion, you could be up there for a week experiencing the agony of death. And so what we see is these details of uh, these bodies would hang outside the city walls for days on end. Because Rome had this illustrative property about their punishment. They wanted to make sure you got the picture. They wanted to make sure that the message was clear. Uh, Do you want to know what happens if you mess with Rome? Crucifixion. Crucifixion was well known. It was regularly practiced. That's why we see the authorities here asking because they know how this can go. That, man, these bodies might be out here for for days. Uh, We're trying to have a party. It really is a damper on our party if we have a dead body hanging out here outside the city. We got to come by here, you know, to to conduct business. We'd rather not have to look outside the gate and see these guys up on this hill uh, on the cross. So could you do us the favor of breaking their legs so that way we can get these guys down so we can kind of go on with our business? And so they do this to the first two men. They, They break their legs so that they'll asphyxiate and die. But when they get to Jesus, again, why these details? When they get to Jesus, he's already dead. So to make sure, one of the guys takes a spear and just rams him you know, through the gut, through, through the lungs, punctures the lung, to make sure, but he's, surely he is dead. But it's important. He's, our, word, our key word was breaking, right? 
So Jesus, his bones were not broken because we know that if you, if you know anything about, about the law, that the sacrificial lamb that is to pay the penalty of sin has to be a lamb that has no broken bones. The Passover lamb is the lamb that has uh, no broken bones in its body. It's, it's, a, it's a lamb that is whole and it's entire and it's together. And so what we see is that the detail is shared that, no, no, Jesus is the lamb who was slain for the sin of the world, right? Think about the quote from John the baptizer at the beginning of the book. Behold the lamb of God who does what? Takes away the sin of the world. And so here he is, the lamb who is, who by not being broken, right, breaks the curse of sin. He is breaking the hold of sin upon us that we read in Romans that, you know, those who have been united to Christ in, in faith, right, those who've been baptized with Christ are free from sin. He's breaking sin's hold on the world. So he's paying its penalty and breaking its power. That we're a people that because he said it is finished, because he has completed the work, now all things change. Now we become people who, when we believe upon Jesus, are become, we, we become new creatures. We become people who are now set free from sin. Jesus broke the hold of sin on humanity. And now, right, it's a, it's a new day. Pentecost comes where God gives his spirit. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, they would have looked at the church and been like, wait, 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 wait. You mean like everybody who believes in Jesus gets the spirit of God? You're kidding. Yes, this is what happens. Jesus breaks sins back and breaks its hold on us. We are no longer slaves to sin, but have been made alive to God in Christ Jesus. So by him not being broken, he breaks sin's hold on us. So we see he's bearing, he's beholding, and he's breaking sin's curse. So I ask the question again, why the crucifixion? Why? Why do we obsess about this gruesome, strange, historical thing? What do you believe happened at the cross? Do you believe it's this kind of interesting detail, this kind of nice thing? Do you think it's this kind of gruesome thing to be avoided? Or when you see the cross, do you ask and think to yourself, man, it should have been me. So I want you to close your eyes and I'm going to read uh, Isaiah 53 for us. So Isaiah, we just finished preaching Isaiah before John. Isaiah was written 700 years. 700 years before Jesus came. This is from Isaiah 53, starting in verse 4. And I would just encourage you just to listen. Surely he has borne our griefs, verse 4, and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. He opened not his mouth by oppression and judgment. He was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence. And there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make the many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. This is the word of the Lord from Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus. Hear me, church. If we don't answer, when, we ask the, we, when the question is asked, why the crucifixion? If we don't answer, it was my sin? Me. He is there because of what I have done. If we make it this, this kind of other thing, which if we, if we look and go, no, there's no need for crucifixion. There's no need for that. Why do we, why do we have this need for Jesus to die? Why, why do we have to do all this? Then what we are doing is we're doing one of two things. We're either shrinking sin and saying, no, 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 sin's not that bad. It's not that big a deal, you know? Genocide, gossip, disobedience to parents, lust, right? It's, just, it's not that big a deal. Sin's, sin's a small thing. We're either shrinking sin or we're exalting ourselves to say, I can do it. Maybe a little more fitness, maybe a little more broccoli, maybe a little more Botox, maybe a little more work. I'm almost there. I'm almost there. I'm a life coach away from being, to being able to do this thing. So we either shrink sin or we exalt ourselves. Why the crucifixion? The short answer is because of you and because of me. Bearing his own cross. I got this from Alistair Begg, but it's, it's good, so I'm going to read it. He quoted from the song and, and the sermon, and I thought it was really helpful. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and I see him there who put an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God, the just, is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. You hear that, church? When someone says, why the crucifixion? You go, because Jesus, the Christ, has paid it in full. And when someone says, why do you get life eternal? Why are you a Christian? You go, because of him because of all that Jesus has done. He has ransomed me because of his work, not because of mine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father,
bearing his own cross. Lord, you, you've, given, you've given us freedom because someone else bore our penalty. You're giving us freedom because someone else beheld our grief and our need for rescue. Lord, you are rescuing us. You're breaking the bonds of sin because of what he has done. Lord, I pray that as we sit and we hear your word and we hear the work of Jesus in crucifixion, that we would feel the lightness of the gospel, that we walk from these halls into our lives knowing that you bore sin's penalty and I now am pardoned. Lord, would you help us to walk in this lightness as we both grieve what had to happen on our behalf and celebrate its result. Lord, would you empower us to go and herald why the crucifixion? You've been good to us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.